Hello, and welcome to Off the Cuff. I am your host, Chris Martinson, and on this program, every week, we are going to bring you a fascinating guest, where we are going to discuss the economy, energy, or the environment, informally and without a script. Welcome, Mish. Well, I've got a lot on my mind today. You know, the FOMC minutes were released. It led to some pretty interesting market gyrations I hope we can discuss. Gold and silver getting just absolutely crushed over this past week with some regularity. I've noticed that 8 o'clock in the morning, 8 a.m., seems to be the... uh, uh, the magic zodiac sign in their charts, which does them in. I don't know what it is about 8 a.m., but but it's been uh, pretty amazing, except for today when it started at 6 a.m. So a little little uh, wrinkle to the plans there. And uh, we're uh, what are we? Maybe a little over a week to avert the sequester cuts. And looks like the White House and the Speaker of the House are just trading blame on that. So I'd like to talk with you about what that might actually mean if it happens. So where should we start? Um, let's go with the. Uh recap of the FOMC. What did they say? Well, it turns out that several of the participants are now saying that easing may prompt excessive risk. They're voicing concern about risks of more QE. They're saying maybe the Fed should vary the pace of QE. None of them said stop. They just said, you know, maybe not $85 billion a month, maybe something less. And so really, it was. I guess you just say it's, those are slightly more hawkish tones. And here's the thing that's mysterious to me about that. Remember, their mandates were that they set out for themselves are 6.5% unemployment and uh, 2.5% inflation. I guess I should say and or 2.5% inflation. Either one of those two things would trigger it. The only thing I can imagine is that the Fed might have in its hot little hands some early data that's pointing to an uptick in inflation that's got them a little worried here. Um, the other thing is, um, it's <laughs> as hard as this might sound to be believe, it's possible that they're realizing that their policies simply aren't working, that they're what? making matters worse. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I throw that out as a possibility. One can always hope, right? But clearly, their pro- we know their policies aren't working, right? It's not spurring any job creation. It's 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 making matters worse. In fact, I'm I'm going to write another post on that on and and how it's making matters worse. But when they uh, every time they lower the cost of money, they are fueling businesses to go out and borrow money cheap, not to hire people, but to make capital investments of machines that can replace people. So uh, we're seeing that across the board, I think, in both manufacturing and the service-related industry. We've seen what the effects of Obamacare have done, and all of these things are counterproductive. I don't know. Is it inconceivable that a couple of people on the Fed might be saying that? I don't know. Even if they did, would Bernanke listen? That's another point. So anyway, we can speculate on the mysterious reasons why, but um, it's it's safe to say that they're not telling us the true state of affairs one way or another. That's a that is very clear, and I'll agree with you on that. You know, I just had a opportunity to talk with a, a a nationally prominent journalist yesterday, and and we were discussing a recent piece I wrote, which was on QE for dummies, and he he was really uh, trying to dig into the mechanisms, and it turned out very few people actually understand what QE is, how it operates, even going forwards. But the concern was, how do you operate that in reverse? You know, and when you think that through, it's easy to operate QE because what you're essentially doing is you're saying, hey, market participants, go ahead and offer me your MBS or your treasury paper, and I will pay you a very good price for that. 
in fact, it will be the, probably the top price that you would get on that for the market. So it's always easy to buy things from people when you're offering top price. Now, flip it. What we have to do is we have to reverse that. We're gonna take our QE paper, we're gonna put it back out into the marketplace. And when we're doing that, by default, we know that we are now flooding the market with interest rate sensitive securities. And what's gonna happen is the prices for those are gonna to start to fall. So you're trying to step out into the marketplace and say, hey, market, I have $8 billion of mortgage-backed security paper and uh, treasuries to offer you today. And by the way, I'm gonna be selling them into an environment where they are falling in price. Who wants them? Come and get them. Right, chirping crickets. This is this is uh, exactly things that we've talked about before. That's why they can talk all they want of an exit policy. For all practical purposes, the Fed is realistically committed to holding everything it's purchased here to term. And the longer the maturity that they go out, the greater the risk, actually, there is in that policy. So uh, at, at one point, Bernanke was, what, doing what, uh, Operation Twist, selling short-term stuff and buying long-term stuff. I don't know how far they went out, but I, what was the average duration of that was seven years. Well, any of that stuff that they bought of 30 years or 15 or 20 years to get the average at whatever it was, they're going to be stuck holding that stuff forever. The other, the shorter-term stuff, you know, anything that they hold for three years, well, the Fed can just sit on that and let it and, and not roll it over. That's not a problem. It's the longer-term stuff that, that they're, actually, all of it, <laughs> uh, they're going to have to hold the term, and uh, I would, perhaps it would be interesting to see a breakdown of exactly what they hold. You can do a, an analysis and figure out exactly how long they're going to hold it, which is all of it to the end. Mm -hmm. I think maybe the thing that was uh, starting to concern the FOMC too is, and it's related to this, it, it was in their release in the minutes that there was that several participants saw improved U.S. credit conditions. And so when you have improving credit conditions, that means that more loans are being made. What do you form the loans from? Oh, well, I don't know if the banks have reserves, in particular excess reserves, which are all those things that banks have piled up after all the QE programs. That would be something that would start to concern the Fed, is if all that money they put out there actually started to get to work. Yeah, that might get me to think, uh, you know, within their framework, it might be time to start thinking about how we're going to first taper off the growth in our balance sheet, let alone an exit strategy, which involves unwinding that balance sheet. So I think there must have been something in some data they saw that created a little bit of concern. More than likely, you're right. It's also possible that they're concerned about the wrong thing. I don't believe that excess reserves work the way people think. I mean, banks don't lend just because they've got excess reserves. They, they don't really lend from reserves at all. Um, if a bank wants to make a loan, if it's got a creditworthy customer and, and it thinks the risk-reward scenario is high enough, it's just going to start lending whether there's any reserves for it or not. So uh, the question is, whether or not the Fed is bright enough to know that. So you've got all these cross currents here, but the one thing we can be certain of is they're not telling us the real reason for whatever they're doing. Absolutely. Well, let's turn to the effect on the markets. I'm going to start with the stock market. Uh, Dow down 108. The S&P down a whole lot more than that, uh, down 18.99, call that 19 points, with some very heavy market on close action. Uh, so there was some heavy selling right into the end there. And we'll see if there's any follow-through on that. But gold and silver, I'm also really taking it here. And again, you know, I'm seeing the same patterns where gold will sort of be drifting along and then all of a sudden somebody will come in and just absolutely dump thousands of contracts in the futures pit. 
And, and it's not gold or silver alone. Uh, there's some real shenanigans happening in the oil markets today. Uh, same sort of a, a pattern there where somebody just comes in and just suddenly just bangs on the bid and just, just crushes the market. And uh, so we're seeing these games and there's just a lot of games out there in the market. And, and my take on that, Mish, is that this means the markets are largely denominated now by these computer players, big players, sophisticated players, however we want to characterize them. And I also consider them to be relatively fickle players. They don't, it's, it's like they don't really have a they're here to make money. They're not here to invest wisely. They're not here to grow the country. They're not here to make great long-term investments. They're not here to do anything other than ride the next quarter of a second and see if they can shave something out of it. And so I I just think when conditions turn, people might be surprised at, at how rapidly these players just gone, gone. They just can disappear in literally 50 milliseconds and half the market can go away. Oh, that uh, uh, that implies for the stock market, and that also implies for a uh, reversal in the price of gold. You know, the at 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 some point, I expect gold to be blasting higher, unless the Fed is really, really, really getting serious here about backing off all the QE, and the rest of the foreign governments do the same thing, and all these currency wars stop. And, you know, already know that I'm in fantasy land. I'm not in fantasy land. I'm, I'm discussing a, a fantasy land idea here that some people might have. But quite literally, that's what this sell-off in gold here, to me, is discounting, that these kinds of things are going to happen. And, of course, you and I don't think they're going to happen. So what we're seeing now is you know, quite likely some manipulation down and i think we're going to see manipulation back up once they drive it low enough so uh that's what it is and we've talked about this before they don't care which way they make money they don't have an intent to drive gold lower per se other than to drive it low enough to buy it and to drive it back up the other way so you know did they get the stock market as 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 as, as high as they want it i you know i don't know uh, that's what it seems like to me with all this black box trading. I mean, sentiment, once sentiment, you know, reaches such an, uh, an extreme, it, it, it's going to reverse. And, you know, we'll see. Did, do un, Unless one believes that black markets have, have, have totally overcome sentiment and sentiment doesn't even matter anymore. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't buy that. Well, you know, we had the old king himself, the maestro Greenspan, opining publicly that you know the stock market is an active and open target of the Fed. And of course, it should be, because if you drive the stock market high enough, the economy will follow along. That was his thesis. Of course, we know that Bernanke has said they're targeting stocks. And so they did, and they, they got them to go higher. What's mysterious to me about this is that um, the stock market is therefore used as a signaling mechanism. And sometimes it just seems a little too obvious. So remember, remember the stock market throwing hissy fits when they thought the fiscal cliff deal wasn't going to come through. And then magically after, you know, Washington saw the stock market slightly falling apart, they caved and, and came to a nice last minute deal. You always thought they were going to, but it was just funny watching the market do that. So here I'm watching the market roll over and we've got about a week to the sequester cuts. I don't think the sequester cuts are that big of a deal, but something in me is saying, well, maybe this is just Wall Street throwing a hissy fit in front of front of DC again saying please you can't take even like one ladle full of the punch bowl away we we want it all that's yeah. that uh, that's quite possible and the other thing is again uh, um, perhaps a couple of the market participants realize uh, on the FOMC panel participants realize that you know what hey guys we're creating here a bubble in stocks now they don't want to come out flat out and say my god there's a bubble in stocks 
Uh, so they just come out and they say, mm, well, you know, maybe there's some risks here of doing this, and they don't really fully explain the risk. That's, we, we really don't know what's on their mind. We don't really know what they're saying. It can be any number of scenarios, or none of them, you know, something that we've not even bothered to speculate on. So, yes, it is unusual in light of uh, their previous statements. It's also possible, let me throw out one more, that they actually believe that their policies are working and perhaps working too well that, you know, maybe they can just afford to slow them down here now. I, you know, that wouldn't surprise me at all either, Chris, hmm. even though we both know that their policies aren't working. So. Well. I, you know, that would be kind of odd, you know, given that they just came out a month ago and said they're targeting 6.5% unemployment and 2.5% inflation. That would be a, a bit of a reverse. So let's talk, in the time we've got left, the, the sequestration. As I understand it, it's supposed to automatically kick in on March 1st. Of course, it was supposed to be January 1st, but they rolled it forward a quarter as part of the cliff deal. And so what happens? Well, actually, nothing really happens on March 1st, but somewhere between March 1st and the end of the fiscal year, September 30th, I believe they have to cut $85 billion out. And so if we call that U.S. austerity, you know, kindergarten style, still there was an estimate by the CBO that that would cost 750,000 jobs. I don't know where they got that and would, you know, stunt economic growth. I calculated it. $85 billion on a $15.6 trillion economy is about 0.6%. So I think you could at least put that in the hopper if, if they were serious and actually removed that $85 billion. It would it'd be a little over half a percent off of uh, some fairly anemic growth. So that's the consequence as far as I see it. But mm, really, I mean, it's a week away. Don't we still have six days and 23 hours for them to come up with a deal? We do, but Congress is on vacation here now, and um, I'm not sure when they come back. And because the Republicans already gave in one um, on tax hike around January 1st, that maybe, maybe they don't deal this time. Maybe they don't. So I'm of the attitude, I'll believe that when I see it, but as opposed to January when I was quite certain, you know, that there would be some sort of last-minute deal, although I just didn't know of what kind. It turns out in that deal, the Republicans gave in actually more than I even thought that they would. So they know that. We know that. I don't think they're going to you know, want to give in so easily this time. Yet, both sides really do want to give in. But if they reach a deal this time, um, it, it's not going to evolve any uh, more tax hikes. So if Obama sticks to demanding tax hikes, I don't think there's a deal. So a deal now probably depends more on Obama than on the Republicans, because unless I'm mistaken, unless I'm reading the sentiment I'm totally wrong here, I don't think the Republicans are going to stand for you know much tax hikes other than perhaps, I don't know, maybe closing a couple of loopholes. But in return for closing some loopholes, they're going to want to see cuts in Medicare, and I don't know if the Democrats are going to go along with that. So uh, here we are. You know, the one wild card, though, is the Republicans really don't want those military cuts. So maybe they work something out to save some military cuts. But now what do the Democrats get in return for that? I don't know. The whole thing looks kind of problematic here. And in light of What's really happened here with the spending cuts, the, the or excuse me, the payroll tax hikes, the 2% tax hikes, uh, this sequester might actually be a little bit bigger of a deal than I thought. Uh, I don't know if you saw the comments 
that were made by uh, the Walmart executives. Oh, I sure did, day. yeah. But, you know, they came flat out and said, you know, this is the worst month start in seven years. Disastrous, was, I think they said. It was in an internal memo, and it was the second internal memo that was leaked. And one of the senior vice presidents was saying something to the effect of, where the hell are the customers? And where's their money? I'll tell you where they are with that expiration of the 2% payroll tax cut with gasoline now at $5 a gallon in many populated metro areas, uh, well over four in, in much of the rest of the country with uh, inflation being actually where it is. I think people are pinched. You know, it's just it's very clear that, you know, whatever the Fed has managed to engineer in terms of a statistical recovery or, or things that look better because the stock market's going up, it's just not being reflected on all the people who are trying to live at the median income wage. And by the way, you know, this this uh, Obamacare bill, when that fully gets understood, I don't think most people really appreciate that yet. But when it's when it's full impact hits over the next two years, that's going to be just another extraordinary drag that that trillion dollars it's coming up with did not come from I'll tell you, it's coming out of you and me. That's where it comes from. And so that's got to be paid for too. So I just see ever-increasing costs just to get by with the basics, which I would consider Walmart gives us a lot of basics. Food is basic. Gasoline is basic. Healthcare for me and my family is basic. That's, you know, just stuff that we're going to have to put up with. So yeah, uh, I think on top of all of that, the sequestration, you know, death by a thousand cuts, it, it certainly would not be helpful. But still, the rhetoric I see them using, you know, uh, Obama said cuts are bad and will visit hardship on a whole lot of people. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you can't find $85 billion out of a $3.6 trillion budget, I mean, come on. I, I, I'm just I'm not really impressed that this is going to be a, a, exceptional hardship. Or if it is, we should really reexamine uh, how we're running things, I think. Exactly. You and I are seeing things alike. Um, you know, meanwhile, actually, there's one other thing that's going on that could be on the market nerves. And that's the uh, political situation in Italy. I've written about that a couple of times. In fact, right before we came on, I wrote about it again. And it, it, it appears to me, at least, that there's not going to be any coalition government that can form out of these next elections in Italy. That means they're going to have to do them again. The unemployment in Italy and Spain is high and, and rising. How much of that, you know, can, can people take over there? Uh, you have two populist candidates in Italy now that are arguing to put the five-star movement of Beppe Grillo wants to put the euro to a vote, actually, and he's going to get uh, maybe 20 to 25 percent of the vote in Italy. Now, he probably cannot form a coalition with anyone, but former Prime Minister Silvio is back in the running, and he might win this thing outright, and he's in a huge open feud right now with Germany. So there's some political messes in, in Europe that might actually be a drag on the U.S. markets as well. We'll see, Chris. You know, we keep wondering when all this is going to matter. We just know that it will. We don't know when it will. But I don't know. Maybe today's the day. Every time there's a decline in the market, I think this might be it. And so far it hasn't. But the backdrop of shrinking earnings, uh, political tensions, currency wars, not good, Chris. Not good. Well, that's what I keep thinking, and I'm I'm just waiting for anything to happen because I'm just uh, I'm a little tired of waiting for reality to have its day in the sun here. <laughs> it's just nothing seems to matter. Uh, everything's going sort of counter, and of course, this is just what a world awash with liquidity feels like. And when when all of your basic, most basic prices are manipulated, that's the price of money itself. 
that's the price of interest and bonds out there, then of course everything gets a little distorted. So if it feels like you're in a fun house with distorted mirrors, that you share the same perception I have and, and it's something I'm really looking forward to getting out of because there's only so much time I can spend in this distorted place without, without wondering what's up, what's down, and what's right and what's wrong. It gets, it gets bizarre after a while. I, I guess that kind of sums it up for the current state of affairs. And uh, as usual, it's a pleasure to be on, and we'll catch you in seven. All right, Mish, catch you in seven.